Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread Episode 110. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Thread is a verse-by-verse Bible study for leaders. So if you're somebody who wants your life to make a difference and have an impact in other people, whether that's at school or in your family or in a ministry or in the marketplace, then Thread is a place for you because we just go verse by verse. We look through scripture for patterns and examples that we can follow in our life. Uh, This episode, I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's about the day of small beginnings. You know how sometimes, um, I always love to hear these stories. You talk to somebody who's got some huge thing, you know, that he, he manages or owns or he planted it and it's, it's really big. And, and so you ask the leader, uh, you know, tell me about it. And then she starts to tell you the story of something that's really, really small. You know, she might say, well, you know, it's just this one person. I met this person or I, I met this family or I had this idea and it was just the two of us, you know, and we were working on it in a garage and, you know, small beginnings. That's how most big things start. But, you know, that small beginning's got to have a certain kind of energy to it. And that's what this today's podcast is going to be about. This thread is about the day of small beginnings. And we're going to talk about the very first person in Europe to accept Jesus. Uh, the very first European to accept Christ. And the story is in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. And we we were in verses 6 through 10 last time. And that was when Paul was, uh, let me just give you a little background. Paul was at the gateway between Europe and Asia, and he was kind of right in that middle zone. And he was saying, God, where do I go? And he wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said no. And he wanted to go to Bithynia, which was going to kind of get him moving in that direction. And the Lord said, no, because as we found out, someone else was going there. And then he fell asleep and had a dream and a vision in the night of a man dressed in Greek clothes from Macedonia, northern part of Greece. And he responded and and the man was crying, pleading, saying, please come over to us. And so they got passage and they moved themselves up into Macedonia. And so now we're going to look at what happens when they get there. So we're going to start in verse 11 down to verse 15. They start off on a ship. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothraki. And the next day we came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. And now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. All right, let's dig into this fantastic story. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on that, but 
uh, Luke in verse 11, Luke has joined this group. And Luke is a writer of the, of the book of Acts, the history book. And he, you know, he, out of modesty, he omits all references to his part in the ministry. We don't know much, and we don't know how did he get to them. We just know from verse 11, Luke is using the word we as a pronoun, and he goes in and out of that. So there's times that Luke is actually there in the middle of the action, and how great that Luke got to be there to observe the very first new birth of a European. You know, they've obeyed the vision to go to Europe, and they have done their part. They went to Europe, and now we start to see the harvest, the very first European to accept Jesus. You know, once again, and I think this is awesome, God honors women in a very counterculture way, especially for those times. You know, sometimes the Apostle Paul, I think, gets a bad rap among um, feminists and not just not just like wild-eyed feminists, but just women in general. I think they resent Paul for talking about uh, humility and Paul talking about modesty and talking about submission and... Uh, what I hope that, that we can do as we look into stories like this is to really look at the heart of this man. You know, he saw women. When he got to the, the river, and we'll go into this story, but I mean, he didn't scan the river and say, we're the men, we're the men, they matter. He saw women. He saw them as important. He saw the hand of God moving among them. He mentions prophetesses that minister with him. So I think we have to be careful not to paint Paul with a single-colored um, paintbrush. You know, he's got a lot to him, and if you listen to what he's saying and try to hear his heart, uh, I don't think he's nearly, you know, the, the boor that some people make him out to be. So, you know, here's God, and God's honoring women one more time. It was a woman that was the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so many times God has honored, especially in the gospel, you know, since Jesus has come in the ministry of Jesus, so many times God has honored women, and He's doing it again this time. Now, eventually, Christ will be known through every town in Europe, and praises will be sung to Jesus in every language of Europe, and the continent will arise and become a series of empires stretching around the world, and millions of people will hear about Christ and follow Him but today, it all starts with one person. Do not despise the day of small beginnings, the old saying goes. I, I can remember when God in 1990 called me and Sherry to plant a church in Metro Manila. We were in the south side of the city. There were very few evangelical churches that we could find uh, around there. And God spoke to me very clearly, and he said, uh, build my church and build it now. And we're not talking about a building. Uh, we, were, we were playing volleyball with the people in our neighborhood. I had no intention of starting a church. I was already over my head uh, designing courses and serving as the uh, director of the graduate program at the Asian Seminary down in Makati. And that would take me sometimes two and three hours one way to get to work. But when, we, uh, when I got home, we didn't have electricity many times. Uh, 10 hours out of a day, we'd have no power. They'd cut it when we went to work, and then they'd cut the neighborhoods when we all went home. And uh, it was just a, it was just, we had had a lot we were dealing with. And yet, our neighbors, we found, were very, very mm, 
they weren't just receptive to friendship. They were spiritually hungry. And so we began to play volleyball with our neighbors, and uh, some of them were, were Christians, and most of them, I'd say about half of them, had some kind of leaning toward, toward God. And uh, eventually we ended up having 13 people at a meeting in a house, and I just told them, the Lord has told me to plant a church. Would you like to join with me? And let's be a church. And we met in Mansur Shayastapur's living room, and he brought chairs from work, and we had 13 people. And then we grew to about 30 in his house, and then we moved to another house in our neighborhood, and Tina Wan and Ming Wan, and we moved in their house and got to about 100. And then we moved to another house and grew to about 300. And then we moved, by then they built a shopping center. So we moved out there into the movie theater. Before we, you know, before we knew it, it took a few years, but we, were, we went from 13 people to 1,300 people and planted churches, and we've had missions work in different countries. And, you know, it was exciting, and it was big. And it all started really with one person, Kelly Manis. And we were evangelizing in a swimming pool at a neighborhood swimming pool and just got to talking to her and could see the heartbreak that was going on in her life. She was struggling with so many different things in her life and God saved her and changed her and, and just made a new woman out of her. And that began something. So, um, you know, when God tells you to start something, don't, don't think he means start big. Almost never does it start big. You know, Jesus didn't start big. He started small, three disciples, 12 disciples. And he seemed very content with numbers like that because he knew that eventually, you know, the math is going to kick in. And it's going to grow big. But for now, it's all about quality and really finding the right core group. Um, So let's dig into the story a little bit more. Verse 11 talks about how once they heard the vision, uh, once they got the the dream, and once they accepted that this dream was telling them to go to Europe, they began to make their way physically to Macedonia. Paul had a vision about Macedonia and Macedonia was a long way off. And they had never, as far as we know, none of them had ever been there. And, uh, you know, you need to physically go to new places. And sometimes we need to physically obey God, not just, you know, in our hearts say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to go and I'm going to start making plans, but get some money and go to the place that you're talking about. Go walk around it, touch it, get near it. And very often that first step in something God wants you to do is simply to move your body. Now, Paul chooses as he gets uh, into Greece and then he gets up to Macedonia as a colony and he decides that the capital city sounds like the place to start. So he goes to the main city, the capital, Philippi. And when he gets there, he has a typical um, strategy that he followed when he was in Asia Minor. And that strategy was he looks for Jews. He tries to find Jews who um, are sincere in their growth for the Lord and who are open to the gospel about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. But he's also looking for those people in every Jewish synagogue that were Gentiles. And they weren't Jews. The men hadn't been circumcised. They didn't leave their culture. They didn't change their clothing. They didn't cut themselves off from their families They stayed right in their culture. They stayed in their businesses, but they were really hungry to know about the God of Israel. And they wanted to hear about the Old Testament stories. They wanted to hear the words of God. They wanted to hear what he said through the prophets. 
They believed that there was one God. And that's, you know, that's counterculture. No one in their culture believed there was one God except the Jews. And these people admired the Jews. They admired the fact that they believed in one God and they seemed to know him as a person and respect him and love him as a person. And so, you know, here they've gone into that synagogue and they've gotten all their training, but they've really never crossed over. There was actually a dividing um, partition that kept them from being able to come into the, to the crowd. And Paul would preach in the synagogues to those people as much as to the Jews. And typically after synagogue was over, it was the Gentiles in the back that would invite him to come into their homes and share with them. And, you know, most Jewish people wouldn't do that because you defiled yourself ceremonially. And Paul was, he was past that stuff. And so he just, he'd go. And then through that, a church would usually be planted among the Gentile people. And eventually they'd get kicked out of the synagogue and they'd just keep moving. Uh, But in this case, there's no synagogue. And so that tells you that in the whole city of Philippi, there were less than 10 Jewish men because when there were 10 Jewish men in any city, a synagogue was formed. So in this place, there's no synagogue. And Paul and Luke and all of them know, well, then we should go to the river. If we go to the river, the God-fearing people will be there. And even if there is two, there are just two Jews in the city, they'll be at the river and they will sit by the river on the Sabbath and they will pray. And so he goes there and seeks for them. He, he always had that pattern. He wants to establish a home base among people who already know the Bible and they're pre-evangelized and they're, they're ready to hear the rest of the story, which is what the gospel would bring them. Well, he gets there and, and we don't see that he found any Jews. We just see he did find this woman without a Jewish name and her, she's got a Gentile name and her name is Lydia and she has, she's a businesswoman and she's there with other women. And so they began to do an outreach to women. And we can stop right there for just a second and say outreaches to women are hugely successful. Uh, a lot of people just you know, br- breeze right by this and they want to do outreaches you know, to all sexes, all kinds of people, whole families. But if you can target your outreach, and especially when you're talking about uh, uh, even today, the Middle East, uh, some of the most fruitful evangelism going on in the Middle East is evangelism specifically addressing um, women, Muslim women who are staying at home. And they've got time. They love God. They're earnest about, about seeking God and walking with God. And they've got time to, to uh, pray and to get into scriptures. And you know, there's just some really beautiful ministry tools. There's a whole movie. They took the Jesus film and they repurposed sections of it and made a new film called Magdalena. And it's just a woman's version of the gospel told by Mary Magdalene. Uh, and letting her, instead of you know letting a, a male like Luke tell the story, they let Mary Magdalene tell the story of Jesus's interactions with women. Very fruitful. And so uh, here's Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She's got a heart that's hungry for God and for the truth. And verse 14 tells us something that we need to really get our hands around uh, regarding evangelism. Let's look at the end of verse 14. It says, The Lord opened her heart to heed or pay attention to the things spoken by Paul. 
We need to really settle on that. It's called prevenient grace. It means you don't come to God. We don't go to God. God comes to us. And we can say, well, no, I did go to God. My heart got convicted. Well, hold on. Who convicted your heart? You didn't do that to yourself. The Holy Spirit had to convict your heart. And that's what's happening here. Paul has gone faithfully, and he and Luke and Silas and Timothy, they have gone physically to Macedonia. They got the vision. They believe it. And they're in Macedonia. They're looking around. They usually go to synagogue. There's no synagogue. What are we going to do? They just know God is here. God is at work. And so they go to the river. They start talking to these women who are there, I don't know, socializing or they're washing stuff in the river. It doesn't say what they were doing. They're just gathered. They're friends. And they gather and they start ministering to these women. And Paul is looking. He can see in the eyes that Lydia is paying attention. She's got grace. She's got the Holy Spirit already operating on her. And God knows her. And God is reaching into her life. And he's engaging her. And she believes the gospel. But she believes because, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart. And you have to understand, you know, nobody just uh, wins someone to the Lord on their own. We win the people that God has prepared. And very often, if you share gospel, uh, a gospel witness with somebody and they receive the Lord, if you dig into their story, you'll find that you're not the first person to talk to them. They've had a family member that tried to witness to them. Maybe they read something, you know, one thing adds to another. And when they're really, really ready, then God sends a harvesting person into their life. And Lydia, is. this is not the first time she has thought about the Lord. She is a seeker of God. The scripture says she was already a worshiper of God. She just had never heard the name Jesus. And so now she hears the gospel about Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, about His blood taking our sins away and making us holy and righteous and opening the way to the Father so that there's not a barrier between us and Him and that we're now adopted into the family. We don't have to stay behind the screen in, you know, in, a, in a building that keeps us from being even part of the humans that are gathered around God. But you can go all the way into the Holy of Holies and go straight into the Father's arms. And when He teaches and preaches this gospel to her, again, not in church, out by the river, the Holy Spirit does His work in evangelism. Share that gospel. Share it anywhere you can. And the farther from church you get, I promise, the more powerful you're going to find that it has because it's a candlelight in the darkness. And when you can take the gospel far out of church into the world where people really live and gather, you're going to have results as you share Jesus with other people. And here's another thing. Uh, verse 15 she wasn't the only one who believed. You have to understand about something called oikos evangelism. And oikos means a household. It's a Greek word for household. And it's not just me, in, in other words, in my house right now. There's me and Sherry, and I have two daughters staying with us. And usually Raina is here. She's gone back to the Philippines for now. She's kind of our Filipino uh, daughter, and she's been living in our house for about 20 years now. And She's usually with us. There's usually one or two other people. Uh, we have a lady named Suwan that comes here uh, in the mornings, and she helps with the cleaning. And, uh, 
and then we have our neighbor, and you just wrap all these people up, and that becomes an oikos. It's one big household, everybody who kind of gathers around the home. And that's where evangelism works. You don't just go from like people like BBs. You know, people are networked, and they're connected to people in love. And so, you know, as soon as Lydia has heard the gospel, she wants her daughters to hear the gospel. She wants her son to hear the gospel. She wants the lady who works with her uh, in her business to hear the gospel. She wants all her friends and relatives. It doesn't say if she's married. She's bringing people to herself, and they all accept. They all believe. Verse 15. This is just like the centurion earlier in the book of Acts, like the power of one godly person in a family to attract the whole rest of the household and bring them to faith also. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke go into her family and they share the gospel with them and all of them accept and all of them come to the river and they are all publicly baptized. And I love it when God redeems a whole family and he changes an entire family history. So this family has received God, and now something happens. Paul needed a headquarters. He needed a home base. And Lydia says, why not my house? Let's have the church in my house. You guys stay in my house with my family. Share with my relational network. You know, they say that all of us have at least 50 current relationships. Well, this woman is from a a relational culture. If you've ever been to Greece, I mean, it's really awesome. Uh, very relational people. Not only that, she's a businesswoman. She's got all her business contacts. And Lydia says, start with me. Let me and my household be the core of what's happening in Philippi. And so this beautiful letter to the Philippians comes out later. And Paul has to write a letter to the church, and he's got nothing but commendations. You know, it's one of the very few letters in the whole New Testament that doesn't have some kind of rebuke in it for somebody that's disorderly. But in Philippi, and that's where we're at now, in the home of Lydia, and as it grew from house to house, and more house churches split off, and, and they, they multiplied into different houses, and the whole city filled up with house churches, it's just a beautiful harvest, and it all came from this one person. Lydia found meaning and purpose in the ministry of hospitality and in using the material things and her relational network that God had provided so she could be part of a great outreach to her city. And that's how it works. Oh, you can ignore all this, and I've seen people do it this way. Ignore all of this and go hire a call center and do a direct mail out to 50,000 homes and cold call all these people and ask them to come to a service and put on like the biggest extravaganza you can for that week. But I promise you, you won't plant much of a church that way. Because church is supposed to be personal, and it's supposed to be contagious, and it's supposed to be a transformational event, like a, a, the waters are troubled in this place, and when people step into them, miracles happen as the waters are churning, and the Holy Spirit is working, and it's happening on sitting on the sofa, and sitting in chairs, and praying on the floor, and it's in a home. God does great powerful things in houses. I just love informal gatherings. I've been in so many and I've seen powerful breakthroughs. So learn to minister forcefully and boldly to people and how to facilitate change in their life 
and God will use you. He's going to use you to plant some kind of life-giving seed, that, just like in Lydia's life, that will continue to spread and affect other people. Start with something small. Focus on reaching even one individual who's receptive and unlock that power of one. Start with one person. All right, so here's our question for the website this week on Quinley.com. Uh, under quinley.com slash 110 that's this episode uh, in the comments section there answer this question what do you feel you're supposed to start what do you feel you are supposed to start let me tell you you may be scared to say that in public but look something happens when we own it you know when we out ourselves publicly and we and even more when we write it down if you know in your heart and Paul knew he was supposed to leave uh, Antioch. It was a successful church. It was it was such a warm, growing place. And Paul thought, mm, I'm supposed to go out. I'm supposed to go out on this big, long missions trip that takes years. And then he knew where he was supposed to go. He just kept doing what he was supposed to do. But he, you got to speak it out. You got to you got to say what it is. So if you've got something like that, you feel like you're supposed to start something. Hey, maybe that that little comment section is your chance for the first time ever to write it down and publicly declare it. Do that and watch the wheels begin to turn. It's really amazing. All right, let me remind you again, quinley.com slash questions. Give us some questions. We're going to do question and answer in, in future episodes. Um, if you want to help us spread the show, quinley.com slash iTunes. Give us a rating. You can tell your friends on Facebook about it with quinley.com slash love. And give us some love on Facebook. Thank you so much. Expect God to use you. That's all for this time. We'll see you next time on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com. Thread.